0: Well, good morning. Let's get started. Welcome to the Women's Bible Study at Redemption Arcadia. So thankful that you all are here today. Uh, My name is Tyler Thompson. I'm the pastor of worship and communities here at Redemption Arcadia. And I'm hanging out with you all for this eight weeks as a way of sort of relaunching our Women's Bible Study here at Redemption Arcadia. So thanks for letting me crash your party for a little while. Uh, We're looking at putting together a... Um, ongoing, uh, seasonal women's Bible study here at Redemption Arcadia, and so we've developed a women's leadership team as a way of facilitating that, Um, and those team members for this go-round are Allison DiSerafino, Liz Thompson, uh, Ann Wheeler, Stephanie Shoemate, and Malia Rogers, so thank you for all of you participating in this way. Um, Allison is actually teaching today, so thank you for that, Allison, really excited about that. Uh, We also want to let you know uh, that there will be a a, an ongoing leadership team that that we'll be developing along the way. So if you'd like to participate as a part of the women's Bible study leadership team, we'd love to have you do that. There's a sign-up sheet uh, right there on that stand. That if you'd like to participate in that, go ahead and sign up your name and let us know how we can contact you. And we'd love for you to participate the next time go the next go round, which will probably be in the summer or the fall or maybe both. There's also on that sign-up sheet, there is a place to fill out sign-ups for your, if you'd like to bring snacks or drinks to this meeting. Uh, Thank you so much to Susan for bringing them today. Where did Susan go? There she is. Hey, Susan, thank you so much for bringing those today. really appreciate that. Uh, So today we have Malia leading us in worship and Allison teaching, um, and uh, we'll do some discussion and some prayer at the end as well at the tables and we do want to let you know that we added another child care room and more child care helpers because there's lots of kids coming to these which is so, super cool so uh, there's more space available now uh, tell all your friends that that's uh, that's available and we also want to let you know that the mother's room does have uh, stream stream streaming as well so if you need to be in the mother's room uh, that's a, a good place also to catch what's going on let me pray for us God, we're so thankful to be able to gather together, uh, with you and with each other. We are thankful for this women's Bible study at Redemption Arcadia and, and, and God, we're grateful for the work that you've already begun to do in this group. Uh, Lord, thank you for the, the ways you're doing your work and the various groups that we have men's Bible study and, uh, small groups, Sunday morning gatherings, kids ministry, youth gathering. God, we pray that you would bless, um, your people in all of these things. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that you'd be glorified in all of these things, uh, that your name would be great uh, here at this church and in our lives, and uh, your name would be great to the nations. God, we pray that you would be glorified in all the earth. And we, we hope that today, Lord, you would teach us from your word, that as we worship you, that that you would be glorified in the worship. Uh, Lord, that you would allow for your spirit and your word uh, to work on us in ways that help us uh, to walk according to your will and to your purposes. So we pray that you be glorified in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand and, and we'll read together Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. If you don't have a handout, they should be around at the tables, so there's probably a few more uh, around today. All right, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. Let's read this as a proclamation this morning as we begin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.
1: Malia to do this. She's amazing. I just sent a song to her and she said, I can do it. Um, but I wanted to tell you why I picked it. Um, today, we're going to be studying about um, the this, this sinner who's forgiven. And what's interesting in it is the only dialogue is going to be between Jesus and Simon the Pharisee. And yet the, the main person is this woman. And when I hear this song, I think that this is what is going through her mind. I I can imagine um, what it would have been to have been so known as a sinful person. Uh, I especially love in verse 1 where she talks about, if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. And we're going to unpack that more. And in verse 3, she said, Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see. And think about, like, if you were known as a sinner, you'd want to be hiding. But because of what we're going to study today, you're going to see why she's willing for the world to see her, and it closes out with her only boast is in you. So I just encourage us as we sing this, this is our song too. Like there's nothing we bring to him that he becomes ashamed of us about, so.
2: she teaches us tonight um, or this morning um, that we'd be able to hear what she has to say but that your spirit would be moving in what she says lord we love you we thank you for this morning it's in your name we pray amen amen
1: so is that on yes okay good i'm just gonna back this up a little bit because i feel like i can't see the sides so hello hello Um, Good morning. My name is Allison DeSarafino, and I am looking forward to teaching this morning um, a section that, without the context of what it's in within Luke, we could go in all kinds of crazy directions with this section. So, I am going to ask you if you would open your Bibles, actually to Luke 4, um, and then we're going to quickly turn forward. Um, but before we do that, I want you to keep two questions in the back of your mind because this is something that in the context of when this was written, um, was a very common concept among the Jewish people. And so I would like you to think about who are the children of God? Jesus is answering over and over again what it means to be His child. Um, And then let's think about why it matters. And these are questions that we're not going to completely unpack today. But as we go, and you think back to the two weeks we've already had, think about the answer to this question because it has huge implications for how the gospel penetrates your life. Um, It is essential that we also remember Luke's purpose in writing, Luke and Acts. Those are his two books that he wrote. Um, is that we would have certainty of the things we've been taught. So the the church, as it was forming, is being taught the gospel. And I asked Sarah if she would read um, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. You can turn there if you want. But the reason why I wanted to start with that is I think sometimes we think we have to have this very complex explanation of the gospel. And yet right here, Paul explains the gospel. This was actually considered one of the earliest creeds of the church. Um, And this is in a nutshell. So would you read it out for us? That's right, go ahead and stop right there. And he goes on about all the witnesses and things that the church would have been very familiar with. But I wanted to bring out a couple of things that Paul emphasizes there. First of all, he talks about what you believed. In other words, what you had faith in. And he draws together repentance and faith as a key part of the gospel. So I want us to keep that idea in mind as we move forward um, and ourselves see why we have certainty that what we've been taught is true and emphasizes that. So if you have Luke 4 opened really fast, I just want us to kind of look at what has been unpacked ahead of this. Um, So Jesus had the temptation at the beginning of Luke there. He went into the desert, and he comes out, starting in verse 14, says he's full of the Spirit, and he begins his ministry. And you probably have headlines that say things similar to that, he uh, goes into the synagogue. He, he would often go into a synagogue on Sundays to preach. And the, one of the first things he does is open up the scroll, and he reads Isaiah 61, 1 to 2. And he proclaims that he is there in the Spirit of God to proclaim good news, liberty. He talks about giving sight to the blind, healing the sick. And that the year of the Lord's favor has arrived. And then he says something that's very provocative. He says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He is from the beginning proclaiming, I'm the Messiah. And it makes the the Pharisees very angry. (laughs) Okay, So from the beginning, you start to see the people are excited. And the Pharisees are very angry with them. And there it says even in verses 22 to 29 about them being very filled with wrath towards Jesus. He goes out, he goes into Capernaum, and we have, listen to this laundry list. Between Luke 4 and 6, so you can slowly start turning, he is going to heal an un, a man with an unclean spirit. Uh, the first week we talked about him healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And then after that he goes out and all the sick are brought to him and he heals them all. Um, he rebukes demons, casts them out, he cleanses a leper, he heals a paralytic, the one, you remember this story probably from Sunday school, his friends want him healed, they bring him, dig a hole in the roof, that guy, yeah, that's that, Um, he heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, this is another big confrontation with the Pharisees, because they say you can't do work, right, they don't want to see a man made whole, Um, and so he, he rebukes them there, then, The Sermon on the Mount, we we think about it as Matthew, that's where it's really spelled out, but the Beatitudes are in Luke 5 and 6, and the woes. He, He gives a lot of woes to those who should know better. And a couple of analogies that I know we're all familiar with, but they're brought up here also, is the good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree, bad fruit. And then he also talks about building your house on the rock. Then we go into Luke 7. So last week we talked about the widow, but before that, um, and I had mentioned in the application, is the centurion's son is healed. And this is really unique because he talks about he's never seen faith like this, and the centurion was a Gentile. And that was something that from the beginning, Isaiah has a lot about the Gentile nations are going to come in. But keep that in mind. So this is the first indication we have of how inclusive and diverse God's family is going to be. Um, and then, like we talked about last week, the widow of Nain, he goes in, he shows great compassion, and he now does a huge thing. He has power over death. He raises someone from the dead. So these other things that he's done are huge, right? Like seeing a leper cleanse, raising up a paralytic, but now it's someone that is dead. And The people now have great fear and say, God is with us. Well, I find this next section interesting just before we get to the teaching today, because what happens is John the Baptist, he has disciples also that were following him. A matter of fact, Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. And when he finds Jesus, he goes and says, hey, I found the Messiah. Let's start following him. John the Baptist at this time is in prison. Herod has arrested him. It's a good read look it up. Um, And John the Baptist, a couple of his disciples come and they tell him about what Jesus is doing. And so he says, go ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come? This is in verse 19 of chapter 7. Or should we look for another? And Jesus in verse 22 answers them and he tells them, go and tell them all you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. I opened with us reading Luke 4, because that is the first scroll that Jesus stood up and read. It's from Isaiah 61. And he's telling John the Baptist through his disciples, I'm the one. But then once they leave, he says, and blessed are you if you're not offended by me. In this crowd are going to be a lot of the people of the towns that are following him because he does great things, but there's also religious leaders there. The Messiah, he is proclaiming he had to come. He does have to cure diseased bodies and the brokenness in this world, but the implication is here also, though, that he is going to need cleansed souls as well. And the religious people understand this, that he is talking about being the righteous one. We need to have that in mind to be set up for why this interaction between the Pharisee and Jesus um, that we're reading today was full of tension from the beginning. He goes on just before it and talks right to the Pharisees that are there and really rebukes them that they weren't really coming to look for him. They reject him based on the way he's doing his ministry and say, oh, you're hanging out with sinners, you do all this thing. But then they also criticized John the Baptist, who lived a very, very pure life. And he tells them, in verse 35, wisdom is justified by all her children. He is saying that knowing God and doing what is right, having the fear of the Lord, is shown in if you have a life that glorifies God. And this is going to be a big contrast that's brought out today, is who glorifies God or not. All right, so we are at... Uh, our our section for today, starting in verse 36. So we're not sure if it was immediate or when. It just says one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. I'm not going to do it, but they ate very different here. Basically, if this was a table, they'd be up laying on it, your feet away from the table. That is the style of how they ate. And commentaries say that back in this day when a big feast was held at someone... uh, a Pharisee, or someone that was a leader of the town, they had open courtyards, and the people in the town would come and watch. It was something to be a part of. I know that's weird to us. When I have a dinner, I don't open my doors, and my neighbors come in. Well, that actually did happen at 1RC. I don't know. Sarah might have been there. We did have a neighbor just walk in, but that's not usually what happens, but this is very, very common in their day, okay? So this next section not so strange, it would be to us, but not to them, that behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears. So a couple things about that. First of all, let's not gloss over that she learned he was reclining at table. Remember, we, from last week, we know that the reputation of this man of being something, a great prophet possibly even God with us, that's how they were referring to him, was going throughout this region. So people would want to see, if nothing else, hey, maybe we'll see a miracle, or, as we're starting to get an indication here, because she is recognizing what he is a source of. Her actions, though she's not using words, are are some of great brokenness and repentance. That alabaster flask of ointment, Different commentaries would say that the women of that day often would wear around their neck a small jar with ointment. a matter of fact, I even read a uh, commentator in the Talmud said that they were allowed to carry it on the Sabbath because it was considered an essential part of a woman. Um, but for a sinner, a woman like this, she was probably a prostitute. Um, they also carried it as it was kind of a part of their job. I guess she would say, um, make them smell well and all things. But it was also usually a, a very expensive oil. And so in a sense, it's like they're carrying their bank account with them. So for her to take this and pour it over him, she is showing that he has great worth to her. So she is going to be weeping, standing over him. She wipes his feet with the hair of her head, kisses them, and continues to anoint them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he says to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would know that what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Let's think of that word prophet. So a prophet is someone that speaks with God's authority. That's a position of power, right? Someone that you would listen to. But let's see now how the um, Pharisee is actually going to address Jesus. So Jesus answering so jesus knows what he is thinking knows what he's mumbling says to him simon i have something to say to you and he answered say it teacher now a teacher in that word specifically when i looked it up in the hebrew just meant one who teaches things concerning god okay it does not indicate authority there's other words for that it indicates that he kind of sees them as an equal right so, Jesus is going to open with a parable. He says, A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Well, yeah, duh, right? And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he says to Simon, do you see this woman? I want to pause on that. The first thing he's asking to do, I mean, obviously he saw who came in. In his mind, he's like, well, if Jesus knew who she was. But he's asking a deeper question about seeing. Do you see this woman? And now he's going to kind of bullet point the way that Simon has shown disdain for Christ and the way she has shown honor and love for him. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. I want to pause there so we think about these things. The, the water for feet very common. We've mentioned this before in other in other teachings. Um, we talked about it in John two. It was dirty. You're walking around in sandals, so you treated your guest with honor by giving them a way to clean off their feet before they would lay at the table. That would just be common courtesy. Um, you would kiss a person. You know, welcome. Like if you've been in Europe, the way they do that, uncomfortable thing. I always hit heads. (laughs) I can never go to the right way. Um, And then they would anoint their heads with oil. It was very dry, but this was a way of showing honor to, to someone. And yet Simon, who knew to do all that, chose not to do it even though he had invited Jesus in as a guest. I can't think of a more offensive way to try to put someone in their place than to do that. And yet she, by her very actions, was making up for where Simon was deficient. Now, Jesus doesn't brush over her reputation. In verse 47, if you look at that again, it says, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. This repentance that is being demonstrated by her, it comes from the center of her affection being Jesus. One thing that really stood out to me here is this link between repentance and being able to have true love if i'm loving out of self-preservation and wanting power and authority my love will be limited because it's based on what you can do for me she is loving out of who jesus is out of that repentance of that i can't just like in that song i just i love it how she talks about like i could never bring anything to you she knows all she has is christ So she says that she has loved much. Remember, who is forgiven little loves little. It's that tyranny of self. The more I think I've got it together, the more I worship and build up who I am, and the less I need Jesus. I start lowering him down to the level of good teacher. What does he have to say about this? Let me think about it. We act like people who are loved very little instead of loved very much. And now see how the people that are around, because there's people at the table and people standing there. It says, when those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? That's huge. Because a teacher would teach you about God. But who is the one that can forgive sins? They knew only the Lord could do that. They are starting to the people around starting to see Jesus for who he is. And he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This faith, that word uh, is sozo in the Greek, and it means to make well, to restore you to health. Go in peace. I wonder if we think about that, that there is a direct link between being repentant over sin Because we have faith in who Jesus is, and then the peace that comes with that. Not a laundry list of things to do. Not a way that now you need to make up for it, but rather this peace, this security. That word is irene, and it means security, safety, prosperity. It also means felicity, happiness. This is a peace that is okay with where you are because of Christ being in you. So I want us to pause, though, and go back to verse 47, because there could be a misunderstanding here if we had this out of the context of the rest of Luke. Because you could read this and think that, well, I might need a great debt to be able to have great love for God. I know, I know. We've been going to church. We know that that's probably not the right answer. But just pulling this out by itself, we we could get in trouble if we're overgeneralizing it. I want us to recognize in it that it says, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. That word for is evidence of something that has happened, the forgiveness. It's part of why I had us read Romans 3 when we started, because I love in Romans 3 how it just from the get-go is like, Hey, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but it's his great gift that has forgiven us. He is both just and and the justifier. The fact that he justifies us, gives us that ability to love him well, and as we talked about the very first week, if we love God well, we will love each other. It just is the natural outpouring. We will live in that grace, and that grace will generate a love that sustains us and builds us into a closer relationship. So, as we go into the time of application and discussion, I want you to think about what it looks like to be God's child, like we started about. And why does it matter? Why does it, is that something we need to know? Why do we not need to know just about God, but about what it means to be in the family of God? So, that's all.
0: Allison um, I'm so thankful for your teaching and your gift of teaching that God's given you and for God's word and the ways that he reveals himself to us um, I I actually am writing a song on this passage and and so I, I wanted to just share that with us today as a, as a way of starting our application time and um, I started writing this song a while back but it's it's come back around recently and I'm actually going to record it in a couple of weeks Um but I wanted to just share this with with you all today, as a way of responding. I, I'm so taken by this woman and her interaction with Jesus, and so I, this song is a song that's um, from her perspective. <laughs>
3: nothing left
0: Amen. Thanks for letting me share that with you. Uh, that passage has been such a meaningful passage to me for a long time. So I wanted to share with you a couple of thoughts. Um, where, where does it are? There we go. Just as, in terms of application from what Allison was, was speaking on and in this passage... I think this is one of the reasons that we've come to begin to use this this phrase "saving faith," is that uh, when Jesus is saying that your your faith has saved you, uh, he, he's not saying that she has has saved herself. Um, and there's also a, a sense where um, if if there's there's times when he comes and he'll heal somebody, uh, and 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 he'll say your faith has made you well. Um, what? He's not saying that that we've done this, we've accomplished this. And I think that's one of the things that we can take incorrectly from a passage like this is that if we just try hard enough, if we just do enough things, if we just believe enough, then then we'll be saved or we'll be healed. Uh, Rather, uh, as we've said before oftentimes here, that our faith is only as good as what the subject of our faith is or the object of our faith is. That who we put our faith in uh, is, is is actually the key for what faith is. Um, it, there is so much today of this. I, I have faith uh, without any understanding of what the faith is placed in. Um, and you'll hear people say, have faith, it's going to be okay, have faith, it's going to be all right. And the, the, the trouble is unless we know what we have faith in and the reason that we ha- the reason that we have that faith, uh, we're, we're in trouble. And so our faith is only as good as what it's placed in, or rather, who it's placed in. Uh, and we know that, that God is the source of that faith. Uh, this is a, a theme that's throughout the, the scriptures. In, in Genesis 15-6, when, when God is, is first hanging out with Abraham and making his Abrahamic covenant, there's a sense where this faith, this, this belief that Abraham had in God's word, is what was credited to him as righteousness. And so that says, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, this, this belief that God is who he, he says he is, and he'll do who, what he says he'll do, um, and for that to be the ruling authority in our lives, uh, is, is what transpired between Abraham and God, in a way that, that, that indicated that this, this faith that he had uh, in the Lord, was credited to him as righteousness. And in Ephesians 2.8, we read this last week, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. All through Hebrews 11, it's by faith, by faith, by faith. Um, and it made me think that the main job of the preacher or the teacher of God's word is actually to be used by God to build this faith. When we come away from our times together in Bible studies, when we come away from our times together uh, in worship services, the, the main hope there is that our faith will have been built during that time, that the faith that we have, God would have increased in us uh, as we've met with him and with one another. I appreciate so much too uh, this connection that Allison has made between uh, repentance <laughs> and belief um, this idea that uh, we've come to the Lord with this transparent brokenness, the uh, the the willingness to say that He's God and we are not, the willingness to say that that we we don't have it all together, and we could easily take that to an extreme to where we're saying, uh, well, if it's if God if the more sin that we we have, the more He forgives, the more glory goes to Him. I don't think it works like that exactly. So I'm I'm glad you pointed that out. We. Paul will say, "Don't use uh, that as a license to sin. Uh, don't use God's forgiveness. Don't use our freedom in Christ as a license to sin more." Um, so I'm 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 touched by this idea of of the acknowledgement of God's glory and our brokenness being a pathway to His forgiveness, His peace, His salvation in our lives. And I do think that's where. Uh, the idea of confession is so important. We've been talking a lot about that as a church recently, that, that we've sort of missed that in many of our uh, worship services recently, and we're trying to bring some of that back into our worship services. The idea that we need to confess to the Lord that our brokenness, um, but even that can be taken to an extreme uh, which we saw oftentimes uh, in in the the early Catholic Church and even present day Catholic Church that there 's an idea that i 'm not forgiven um, unless I confess my sins to a priest or to somebody in mass um, that we 've put somebody there in the place of God that doesn 't need to be there we 've put people in between us and the Lord. I love about the Catholic Church that there's a lot of these rhythms, these liturgies, these these these, these uh, practices that are rooted in Scripture. But what we've done is we, we've taken our tradition oftentimes and put our tradition in front of what the Word of God is saying and what the Lord has for us. I think this is what the Reformers had in mind uh, with the five solas in the Reformation. So I just noted that for you. If you're interested in that conversation, that's something that you can look further into, sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, solus Christus, and soli Deo gloria. The idea with each of those, just briefly, sola scriptura was that the final authority of God's word rests with his word and not with the church. Uh, there was no question in the Catholic church about there being uh, the inspiration and the, the, uh, inerrancy of scripture. It was rather that we were adding to that with our own tradition. And so the reformers came along and said, uh, we we, we want to make sure that the final authority for the life of the believer is with what we've seen in God's word and, and not with what the church says. Because the church could actually, and we, and we see this today, um, e- even in the Protestant church, church, which has been reformed, so to speak, uh, we have churches all over that are saying, well, we, we think we ha- we have the authority on this matter. And so it's important for us to understand that that this 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 uh, faith that we have in the Lord is rooted in his word as is recorded in the scripture. Sola fide is that it's by faith alone uh, that we've been saved. And so the, this, this faith that we see in the people that are coming to Christ and in these interactions that we're looking at, and even with this woman today... Um, there's an understanding that this belief in who Christ is and what he can do for us and what he has done for us is at the forefront of our salvation. So the sola fide is that we believe that it's through faith alone, um, not through uh, works, not through added, added sacraments, uh, even, even with things like baptism and that sort of thing. Um, sola gratia is that it's, it's through grace alone, like we just read in Ephesians uh, too. It is by grace that we have been saved. In other words, this is completely a gift from God, completely a gift from God, that we come to him uh, poor and needy as beggars, uh, that we we come understanding that we have nothing to offer. And uh, Isaiah 55, 1, um, Caleb actually read it in our small group on Tuesday night, and Frank and I are actually going to probably bring it up at our in the sermon this Sunday. It says that we... What we come to buy from the Lord, we have no money to offer. <laughs> um, what we what we what we want to have from God, there's no money in the world that can buy that, and that is purely a gift from Him to us that we're thankful for. Uh, Solus Christus is that it, it, through Christ alone. It's only it's only through this this work of Christ on the cross. Um, he is the only one who is able to have the keys of. Of death and life. Uh, he, he is the only one that's able to open the scroll, as Revelation uh, says, but He's the only one who is able to s- deliver this salvation through us. It's through no other name, no other person. Uh, and it's only Deo, Deo glory that all of this is done for the glory of God. Uh, so, w- whether we're counting our sins or whether we're counting our good works on either side of that extreme, um, none of it matters. Uh, in comparison to the glory that, that that we need to bring to the Lord. And so there's this sense where all of the things that we're going through, all of the trials, all of the difficulties, all of the, uh, the good relationships, all of the broken relationships, all of the things that we're uh, navigating through as people of God, um, even through all of these things, it all goes to the glory of God. And somehow he's able to use these things for his glory. And we want to be participating with him in that. I just wanted to mention those today t- today for us because I think it's a helpful for, reminder uh, in connection with this idea of repentance and peace and salvation. Finally, I just want to encourage you with 1 Thessalonians 5:24. It says the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. I want to encourage you with that because there can be times in our lives where we where we can say, "Well, this is a lot to ask from a person." Uh, that I that I that I, <laughs> that I want to come and have this faith that is able to move mountains and i want to have this faith that's able to overcome the obstacles that i'm facing and and i have to you conf- i need to confess my sins to the to the lord and and uh i need to allow for his spirit and his word to transform us we need to allow his grace to transform us it can oftentimes feel like this is a lot on our plate and i understand that and i think that that's true <laughs> there there is a lot on our plate and for for those of you today who need to hear this encouragement um, the, the Bible is clear that, that God is the one who is faithful, and he is the one who will do this. He is the one who will, who will accomplish his purposes, even in our lives. And, and so Paul will say it that way, too, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Uh, I want to encourage you with that that, the Lord is, that, that all of us are in this process, and the Lord is going to uh, complete in you what he has started today. Uh, So thanks for allowing me to share some thoughts with you. At this time, we'd love to encourage you uh, to discuss at your tables. Uh, Again, there are some prompts there and questions that you might consider. Um, I I, I always want to give freedom uh, for people to be able to go off script because I do think some of the best conversations happen when you're not following a rigid outline. But these are great questions right here that, that will help to facilitate um, your discussion as you begin. So, we'd love to encourage you to to discuss at your tables. And then, probably in about 15 uh, or 20 minutes, we'll we'll uh, spend some time praying together. So, God bless you. Thanks.